the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. Welcome to the show. The remedy for boredom has arrived, and guess what? It's Friday. And today, I've got Smith Hart, the oldest son of Stu Hart and a uh, a founding member of the Hart family wrestling dynasty. And what a uh, character Smith is. He's world-renowned within the wrestling business for being... uh, Slightly eccentric, shall we say. He's the older brother to Brad and Owen, the uncle to uh, Natty Neidhart. Uh, he talks about his relationship with both of his brothers, all of his brothers and sisters. Smith's got stories about the early days of Stampede Wrestling. What he remembers when his dad and mom were trying to get the promotion up and running in Calgary. You hear all the jobs that Smith and all the Hart kids had to do for Stampede Wrestling, from working the door to selling programs. You also hear what it was like growing up in the crazy Hart house with dogs and cats and more cats and more cats uh, getting free reign. All the various wrestlers and freaks and gypsies and tramps and thieves who came to stay at his house while uh, working uh, in the territory. Smith tells tells some incredible stories, including getting his father high. On marijuana, and his father didn't know it. So, uh, lots of ridiculous, incredible stories about the uh, legendary Hart family from the oldest. Uh, child in the Hart family. Smith Hart will be here. And thanks to him for, for doing this. And thanks to all of my Talk is Jericho sponsors. And thanks to you for supporting those sponsors and making it possible for me to do this show for you two times a week for free. All right. And if you still haven't given DDP Yoga a try, talk about a great sponsor, one of the best sponsors we've had in the history of this show. And it works. Like I said, it's, it's changed my life for the better. I want you to experience this as well. Check out DDP Yoga at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. You know my story. Help me back in the ring. Uh, still having uh, great matches. I think at WrestleMania, the general consensus is that the three best matches were the women's match, the ladder match, and, of course, Jericho versus Styles. Hey, man, I'm 45. I don't feel like it. A lot of people like to harp on that. I don't. One of the reasons why I don't have to worry about it is because of DDP Yoga. It helped me to get to the top of my game. Uh, main eventing SmackDown twice and, and Raw once uh, in the last two weeks. Three out of four main events featuring Jericho, and that's because of DDP Yoga uh, it giving its influence to my mind and body. I want you to get on board, man. DDP can help you get to where you need to be physically. Uh, if you want to get in better shape, DDP is going to help you do that by giving you the best price on his amazing program. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And if you buy the program, you get three free months of the new DDP Yoga Now app. Okay, You're going to love the, this app as much as I do because it's got all the workouts on it, live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center, and tons of nutrition tips, inspirational stories, videos. You can even access cooking shows so you can see how to prepare healthier meals for yourself which will help you get into better shape and the ddp yoga now app is available at itunes and the google play stores and what uh, an incredible piece of technology this is they did a great job it's uh, definitely at the top of the heap so when you go download the the app you'll see all the amazing reviews it's getting and you'll add your own uh, ddp knows how busy we all are how crazy life can be but now you don't have to sacrifice your workout or your health because you're too busy you can do ddp yoga anywhere anytime any place in your house in your apartment in your car Probably, if you have a big enough car, maybe, like one of those uh, hearses or something like that, or a, a minivan, you could probably do it in that. 
But thanks to the DDP Yoga Now app, you can do the program uh, at any time as well. It's convenient. It works. You don't have to worry about DVDs, how cumbersome they are. Take advantage of the special offer DDP is giving you guys, the Sexy Beast listeners of Talk is Jericho. Order this program now at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. I know some of you are sitting on the fence. Some of you are hearing this ad every week and going, enough with the DDP Yoga. Well, the only way that I'm going to convince you is if you try it. And I'm telling you, it really works. Get started today at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Talk is Jericho. So we're in Calgary here, which is synonymous, if you are a wrestling fan, with the Hart family. It's uh, the biggest, probably most legendary family uh, in, in wrestling history. And I'm with Smith Hart, who is the eldest Hart child. And there was 12 of you. But you were the first. That's correct. I am. And uh, hi, everybody that's listening. Uh, you know, it's nice to see a good uh, a Stampede uh, alumni, Chris Jericho, who's done <laughs> us proud, done the business proud, done the WWE proud, done every uh, federation he's worked with proud with his unselfish uh, loyalty and, uh, you know, working with fans and, uh, you know, outstanding wrestler as well. Well, I appreciate that, man. Like I said, I'm glad we get a chance to talk today because when you come to Calgary, it is heart territory. And do you have you found or do do people still take wrestling synonymous with the hearts in, in Calgary? You know, they sure do uh, all the time. Even on the way here, I walked from uh, my place to here and uh, ran into people that were wanting to keep me and talk wrestling. And you know, they sometimes they have a little jaded memory that uh, they're talking about something that I know isn't quite true. But uh, you know, you kind of go with the flow. So, being you know, kind of the, the oldest heart kid, and growing up in, in the family, I mean, obviously. It's probably kind of a strange environment because Stu was the promoter and a lot of the guys would stay at his house and there's wrestling bears and there's midgets and there's girls and there's stuff going on all over the place. What was it like kind of uh, growing up with, with, with Stu and Helen as your parents? Um, well, you know, with them as parents, uh, we didn't know the difference, but, I mean, there was no sugar in our house, let alone candy. Uh, it was honey. You know, my dad would be, he'd buy bats of honey from the Hutterites, and we didn't go Halloweening. And, uh, uh, well, no trick-or-treating? No, 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 too much uh, that garbage sugar candy stuff. Uh, we all had perfect cavity. No, we had cavity-free teeth until uh, my dad bought Clearwater Beach, and that was, you know, had a big concession there, and we were left to stay there uh, pretty much all summer long there. And all of a sudden, the dental bill started occurring, you know, and we were drinking a lot of Coke and eating a lot of O'Henry bars and stuff and potato chips and stuff as bad. As far as... Uh, you know, a lot of the kids in school, our, our show, which was originally called Mat Time, which my mother dubbed Fat Time, was on at midnight on Saturday, so we barely ever saw it. I mean, we'd fall asleep, but we played so hard in the yard, just all ourselves. We had nobody else, just us, you know, growing family up to a dozen kids, finally. My mother didn't drive, and the only visitors were the milkman and people that got lost or something. And on Saturdays, the wrestlers would come and get their checks. And uh, that's the first time I'd see them. And there'd be midgets and weightlifters like Doug Hepper and Paul Anderson, Sky High Lee, and uh, wrestlers of every color and creed going, all coming to get their checks, wrestling bear included. So, but a lot of kids uh, didn't know. We, you know, later when our show got more on like Saturday afternoon, when kids would be trying to come back on Monday, trying to imitate my dad and do the holds and stuff, or even at the intermission at the pavilion here where we are now on the grounds here at Stampede. We'd be out, out wrestling with the guys out in the paddock right in front of the pavilion. 
But uh, back in those days, it was, uh, they didn't know who we were. They'd see someone like the Mighty Ursus uh, picking us up, and he'd be sticking his big fat arm out the window, flattening it to make it look even bigger. And my dad would show up in a limousine late to pick us up and zoom off about 90 miles an hour to get us home and back in five school? minutes. Yeah, we never ate lunch at school until, until we were in high school and stuff like oh, that. Oh, you'd always come home for lunch? Oh, always, yeah. Because yeah. Stu, Stu was, from what I understand, like a pretty... Uh, like a pretty avid family man. He was totally avid family man. That's why there was no, you know, we, hardly, we didn't eat a lot of salt, a lot of pickles, a lot of stuff that has no uh, real food value. Uh, there was no aspirins in the house, nothing, no no uh, barbiturates, no smut, no no nothing like that. It was a very clean living house. Uh, the worst thing you could find in our house was coffee and tea. Mm-hmm. But but Stu also he's promoting the territory, maybe yeah. even still wrestling in it. Oh yeah, he was wrestling for a long time, uh, always on the cards, uh, and you know wrestling some poor bastard for forty five minutes. You know, fill out the card, he could always do that. You know, I give some poor didn't matter if it was Luces or uh, one of his young proteges, he'd, he'd work him for forty five minutes, and the rest of the card would have almost a night off. You know, some quick good matches, and Stu would get in with the heavy duty match, the, the, the meat and potatoes part of the of the uh, feast and you know he'd sometimes even be the one that set up the ring in the early days you know just to to be efficient whatever had to be done he would do it yeah but then still come home and cook dinner and clean the house like Stu was kind of running the household as well when possible you know like if he's on the road he's on the road but uh, my mother uh, did all the uh, public relations work answering the phone and it was pretty hard in those days when we first moved there it was a party line and we get someone calling from Australia at some ungodly hour of the morning and people sometimes listening in or trying to find out what's going on and there's really nothing in, to discuss except uh, dates and arrivals and custom you know clearance and stuff but once in a while you're discussing uh minor aspects of the match or something we finally just uh paid the, the about five grand to have our own line put in and every time somebody else hooked up we were supposed to get a rebate and well we, i think we got like five bucks rebate over a, ever and this is like in the 60s? 50s. 50s. 51 and wow. on, yeah. So you were the first born, and who was who's second? I was first born in New York, Long Beach, where my uh, dad was wrestling for uh, Toots Mon, which was Vince McMahon's grandfather's boss at the time. And they, they clicked when my dad took a furlough from Halifax with uh, Sandra Kovacs and Al uh, Oming, who were aspiring wrestlers uh, from the Navy. And... Uh, it turns out that uh, Stu and uh, Toots had a common friend in Jack Taylor, who had, uh, was the mentor for most of the world's champions in that era, including uh, Frank Gotch and Far- maybe Farmer Burns. But uh, Jack Taylor was a monster of a guy, six foot four, with hands like shovels, and uh, wrestling was his mistress. I don't think he ever married, and uh, he, he was uh, he, he could handle anybody. You know, he'd run. 20 miles at 5 in the morning with two tennis balls and he'd come back and the tennis balls would be broken they'd just be limp wow he has grip strength yeah yeah huge big hands Uh like shovels so, so what we're talking about though is, is you're the you're the first child. Yeah. Who's second? Okay, Bruce was second. I was left in Montana in a great in um, in New York City, in, you know, Long Beach, the borough of Long Beach. When uh, the police chief called my dad from Edmonton, said, "Stu, get out here and get the license. The pavilion is finished, and that was the only suitable building." There was a they shut down a lot of projects during the war. And, 
Finally, there's a building that's suitable for wrestling. Like a building available? Yeah, uh-huh. just to match the pavilion here in Calgary. So, And Larry Tillman had a monopoly here with this uh, semi-crooked mayor named Don McKay. And when my dad applied for the wrestling license here in Calgary, they said, no, Mr. Hart, one promoter is enough. Two will kill each other off, which which maybe is true. So uh, and there wasn't really any facility in Edmonton that was available or worthwhile. So my dad dropped everything, drove with my mother nonstop to Edmonton. And my mother didn't drive, but she went with him. And I was left with my grandparents. And uh, they were getting, my parents were going to pick me up a few weeks later while they had a car accident in Montana before that happened. That waylaid them for two years. My mother broke every bone in her face. My dad broke oh, really? his, yeah, every bone, all her teeth. His she was fractured. a beauty queen, too. She was. So to have her whole face? Yeah, broke. she went right through the windshield. Wow. My dad broke the steering wheel of his uh, Chrysler Imperial with his chin. Didn't do no damage to him. He died with a full set of teeth and no cavities. <laughs> so Stu never ate sugar? No. Ever? No. no nothing like Even that. Even when he was in his 80s? and No, honey and maybe brown sugar if, or if he had any, or he'd just soon have no sugar. It's funny because when we, we got a coffee to come over here and you grabbed a bunch of packets of sugar and put it in your pocket, said Stu because Stu yeah. would do that right yeah yeah exactly a buck here a buck there a penny here save you know it's like you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time yeah he would just take all the sugar in the in the little uh, uh, glass container just put them all in his pocket well, and they charge you like uh, in those days like a buck for a coffee or something or, you know or nowadays it's like so you can go to Starbucks and spend six bucks on some frappuccino mocha with a you know a caramel shot or something you know you're almost entitled to walk out with their cream in their honey, <laughs> yeah. honey jar. Better be free. Yeah. So, so you said so Bruce was second. and w- so They were born. Bruce was born practically on the spot when they had the accident prematurely. Well, she was pregnant. She was very much pregnant. Okay. And then they had Keith, both Bruce and, Bruce and Keith, born in Montana. While I'm being raised and spoiled rotten by my mother's four younger sisters, she had no brothers and my grandparents who were devoted to me because I was the son like they never had. They wanted they kept having daughter after daughter trying to have a son to carry on the Olympic tradition. My grandfather was an Olympic track star. He broke the world record in nineteen twelve. Hmm. So I have you might say Olympic genetics on both sides of my family. My dad right. being on the uh, Canadian amateur wrestling team, Olympic team, for years. You know, in 1940 and 44, they were canceled, and he debated waiting till 48. But he had married my mother by then and uh, had me in 19, late 1948, and uh, he had to support my mother somewhere. Well, and Stu also had a, a really tough upbringing as well as a kid. Yeah, he was brought up through, uh, you know, two world wars and, and a depression. No money. No money. No house. No house. Yeah, they even had a house, and they were, uh, you know, real si- real weight out of it. Basically, uh, it was a misunderstanding. You know, the town, the, the, the records in Troshu burned up or something, and there was also a uh, tuberculosis uh, outbreak or something, and uh, anyway, uh, they, they based on a late arrival, he lost his homestead and he fought for it and he went to jail for it. My grandfather and uh, his kids were taken from him for a while, and it was very sad. But um, they, they, in those days, they were sleeping uh, in a tent along the railway siding on their property or on the road allowance next to it, and they were just the people. You know, the RCMP came along and burned all their possessions 
record. Why? Yeah, uh, because they were trespassing. It wasn't their property. Wow. Somebody else had beat them in court over it. But this is also the Canadian prairies living in a tent. It Was it winter or summer? It was summer. Okay. Do- was do- no, I'm not kidding. It was winter. It was uh, They had the dogs in the hot rocks at their feet and stuff. And the dogs so they were came. living in a tent in the winter in, in the, the winter. prairies. Yeah, it's- open prairie. No, no, no. And what did they have? What did they have? Hot rocks? Yeah, they'd, they'd heat rocks up during the day to keep them warm during the night. And they have the dogs sleeping with them, uh, you know, on their... Wow, so they'd put the rocks like at the bottom of their bed or whatever yeah, to yeah, keep them warm. Yeah, to put it in the bed, yeah. Wow. So this guy had a, had a tough upbringing. So yeah. as as your father, was he pretty strict with you guys? He was very strict with us, but, uh, you know, you can, you know, he had the method of, you know, pulling his punches and uh, mostly glaring at you and threatening you with, uh, you know, he'd draw his fist back, but he would never hit you, you know, and you're, you're <laughs> perched up by your throat against the uh, mana freezer sticking out about two inches from the cupboard where you're just barely sitting on it. And if he took his hand away, you'd fall forward and he'd, <laughs> he'd be just threatening, you ever going to do this again? It was mostly making a lot of noise for my mother's sake, who'd be upstairs having ratted us out, you know, the minute he got home. So you were kind of working in the family business as a kid? Yeah, the first thing we ever did was uh, sell wrestling programs. And then later I became a doorman taking tickets. And it was amazing how many people come up to me trying to slip me five, or five bucks to get in, you know. And uh, we realized that the old previous gate taker, you know, doorman oh. were just raking in money. You know, right, fifty bucks in those days was a lot of money. Is that how much a ticket was? No, but uh, I remember one time I got eight hundred dollars on one night when we sold out, and I, I always would turn every penny into to, to the more you turned in, the more praise you'd get. I wouldn't keep a penny of it. So well, you got eight hundred bucks in like bribes to try yeah, and get people to get yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. When when you were a kid, did you want to be a wrestler too? We all played at it, and we sort of liked to had our heroes and stuff. Like Buddy Rogers, one of my heroes for a favorite? while. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, but um, I, I'm more at a fairly early age uh, realized how tedious amateur wrestling is and uh, how boring weight weightlifting is. Uh, we were all fairly in fairly good active shape just from being out on a 35 acre place out of town, you know, with all kinds of animals and stuff, and all ourselves. We'd get up early and run hard and play hard and go to bed exhausted, you know, and filthy, dirty. We'd be running, and once in a while, they'd plow the field or something, and we'd have dirt all over our feet. But my mother didn't care as long as we were quiet, so she could read or watch or whatever she watched on TV or catch up with, you know. She wasn't much of a goss. She, had no, she really had nobody but her own sisters that she'd call from time to time throughout the States, mostly New York at that time. But um, she was a voracious reader and uh, did, did had, had to do a lot of work for my dad. Just because uh, she took care of all the PR, all the books. Did she do the bookkeeping the bo- as well? Uh, everything, everything mm-hmm. like that. Right. So she was kind of the, that was the other half of the of the family business was her. her That's part right. Of it. Yeah. She she was very devoted to that, and she could charm the pants off anybody. She could talk to to a drunken irate fan, to, or she could talk to the the Pope and uh, and you know work mm-hmm. you know charm him. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, we're back with Smith Hart. Now, uh, Smith, what was the Hart family's reputation like um, in the city of Calgary? Well, the family, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people uh, that, that uh, 
you know, thought they knew wrestling, would just say it was uh, phony. That's all he could say about it. It's phony, you know, fake blood and this and that. And Well, it was never fake blood, but, uh, you know, in uh, wrestling, you can call it phony or sensible. I, I would call it common sense. It had to be the way it evolved. It was just the way it made sense. Uh, but when you're walking down the streets of Calgary, are people saying, there's the hearts, were you, did they think you were, it was well, cool, it was, or they think you were It was freaks, cool, or? yeah, you were a cool and celebrity, basically, mm-hmm. and you're not really a freak, although some of the guys we had were freaks, like, uh, <laughs> you know, the French Angel, or the Swedish Angel, the Maguire Twins, and stuff like Maguire that. Maguire Twins were like 800 Carl pounds or something like that? They were 700 pounds each, and... Wow. Uh, they're just an attraction, really. Nice guys. You know, I think he's only one alive now, and he shrunk by. He somehow starved himself down to a respectable 200 pounds or something. <laughs> and what other freaks was the French Angel? Was it a giant? Yeah, they had these guys that were normal size that had megalomania, yeah, and their feet would grow and their hands would grow and their jaw would grow, and, they, you know, they looked, they looked weird, you know, but they weren't huge like Andre. They had all his features, but they were normal size height. Normal size guys, yeah. Yeah, in fact, the Swedish Angel... Was uh, or was it the French angel Morris Tillett? He was quite short actually, and he had these long gorilla arms, and he was hairy too, and bald, and uh, really an awful face that only a mother could love. It was like it was worse than any face you'd see in uh, in the uh, Lord of the Ring series. You know? <laughs> so, did you, so you actually did wrestle though, right? Well, I wrestled uh, amateur and professionally. Professional. I wrestled over a span of eighteen years. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize you had that long of yeah. a career. Yeah, I was not business. always uh, fully active, but when I got an offer that sounded good and it was in a nice place uh, that I hadn't seen before, I'd, I'd be I'd take it up. So, where are some of the places that you wrestled in? I wrestled in Germany, France, Holland, uh, Japan, all over the Caribbean, all over uh, you know uh, Canada, Montreal, Toronto, uh, border mountain states. You know, um, Washington, Idaho, uh, Oregon. Were you Montana. going by yourself, or was it a tag team? Or? Um, I went to Puerto Rico with Brett. I went to Japan by myself. In the states, uh, in Montana, I wrestled with all my brothers. Uh, in tag situations. Hmm. So that was kind of the attraction. Here comes the Hart brothers, bring them in. Well, yeah, we were somewhat the attractions, but also uh, the Stomper and Abdullah and uh, uh, Big Daddy Ritter, which was a junkyard dog, you know. And sometimes by, some of these guys, you couldn't get them across the border without great difficulty due to the customs, uh, you know. So uh, some of these Japanese guys would really be hard to get across, whereas if you're... Uh, British or uh, Canadian or uh, U.S. like the Big Daddy Ritter was U.S. Uh, and the, the Alaskan, you know, Jay York, uh, Mike York, they, they would go across without any problem whatsoever. But mm-hmm. Jake Roberts, you know, another one. So, um, did you like wrestling? Is I liked wrestling. I, I liked wrestling, uh, and if I, you know, I probably wouldn't like it if I hadn't been born into the business. But my real passion was to promote. I wanted to be a Vince McMahon, a Stu Hart, not a mm. just another. Uh, wrestler at the mercy of some uh, egomaniac booker that uh, had a lot of ulterior motivated uh, buddies that he's putting him over if not himself you know that's generally the case when somebody's a booker they put their friends over or themselves mm-hmm. over which I would have never done I'm very objective that way over the years when you saw Stampede kind of go through its ebb and flows like I remember the last kind of gasp of Stampede when I was a fan in 86, 87 Bruce was the booker yeah, and then the, the territory kind of ended very quickly did you think he did a good job as a booker so so not good Bruce did a much better job than Keith ever did uh, well Keith was a booker too Keith and Bruce were bookers back and forth that stems from me uh, not bonding with either of my parents I was bonding with my aunts and my grandparents and all the my aunts uh boyfriends they were mostly service guys even in, after the war 
and uh, the Korean War was still going on. Uh, Bruce was my mother's pet right away. Years later, Brett usurped that position on Bruce, but uh, and Keith was my dad's pet. And Keith was a fairly aggressive little shit that I used to pound pretty good. You know, <laughs> I, I, I know I know them all. I know who is, uh, you know, really good, and I know who are less than good. Uh, right. You know, in my basically, in my opinion, or my my from my experience and Ross is a saint Ross is one of the best brothers you can have Owen was a saint Owen was as good as you could get uh, Brett's alright but uh, Keith mentored Brett a bit you know and uh, you know I, I don't like I never really got along with Keith for some reason I don't know if he knows or not Keith's done me a few good turns and he's he's, uh, he's done some less than good things uh, with me and through me but you know same to, to my father too I think he took advantage of my dad many a time but uh Putsy, as we call him, or Bug Eyes was his original uh, nickname. Uh, yes, he's got kind of a greedy streak in him. You know, he's, he's very monetary-minded. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm here to bury him or anything. I love all my brothers and sisters. Well, t- uh, how about your brother Dean? That's kind of the forgotten part. Dean was part, a great... He, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, if anything. Because uh, uh, Dean uh, passed Dean, away a long time ago. So I just yeah. want to set the tone so people know who Dean is. Dean is, is, is Smith's brother who died. Dean was my favorite brother. He was the toughest of all of us, even though he was the smallest. He pound for pound. He was like a little uh, weasel or like uh, like Johnny Devine, the, the honey badger. Mm-hmm. But Dean was a tough, vicious little little guy and uh i don't think he had a small man's complex but he wasn't that big but he was a, certainly a handsome guy and uh he was my dean, dean had a lot of nerve when it came to anything whether it was a fight one-on-one or even several guys on one uh he didn't back down and uh he uh he, he unfortunately died of uh kidney complications when he got hit by a city bus here in calgary and wow bounced him pretty good and uh he was because they tested the protein in his urine. They said something's wrong here. Your kidneys aren't working well. It turns out that was a result of the uh, the traffic, the highway, you know, getting hit by the C train or the bus. So basically had kidney failure. That's what yeah, he passed away yeah, from. Yeah, ruptured his kidneys. Yeah, and he uh, he wasn't uh, honoring the system, the, di- the dialysis uh, regimen. He hated that. He said, I feel terrible when I go in. I feel awful while it's happening, and I feel awful after it's happened. You mm. know? And, How old was he when he passed away? 35. Wow, and that was 19. Like almost same age as Owen. Yeah, I don't know what year that was. It was in November. Yeah. Uh, I found him uh, as good as dead, uh, lying there with the bathtub just about ready to overflow. He was getting ready to have a bath. Uh, this girl named uh, Janine, uh, I think it was Rogers or something. Uh, she was Autry. Janine, yeah, I was thinking Roy Autry. Yeah, she was practically a doctor. Her husband was, and she was some kind of nurse. And uh, the first time she came to Calgary, a big fan of Brett's, she stayed at my parents' house, and she got to charm my mother over the years before she came. But uh, she looked at Dean, says, "You're in trouble," you know. You know and she got him back in, back on the regiment, and then he slipped off again. And she had heard about it, and she was making a special trip, but she—I don't think she ever made it because he died before that. Mm-hmm. But he was in lieu of her coming, he, you know, in, in view of her coming, he uh, decided to clean up his act, and he was getting ready to go to the dialysis for the first time in oh, weeks. Wow. You know, yeah. he just wouldn't go. He'd just say, "I hate it so much, I don't want to go," and he'd stay. But he, he painted that day, and. Uh, we couldn't seem to revive him. We were trying to get him artificial respiration. Yes, you know, yeah. And my dad's back and forth between us. We're on the phone in the office to the bedroom, to the bathroom where Dean was lying there. And 
the fire truck or the, the paramedic truck went by several times, couldn't seem to find the house for some reason. We thought they'd all know where we lived, but there was a new fire hall up there that wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the usual one. And, and you know, they went by one way and then another way, and then finally they pulled in. But I don't know if it would have made any difference. But anyway, Dean was pronounced dead on arrival. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that you always wanted to be a promoter, and Dean and you were promoters when you talked about Clearwater Beach. You guys yeah, promoted. Dean Dean promoted all kinds of stuff. You know, he had uh, attended some of the uh, Three Dog Night concerts here in Calgary, which a guy named Brian Ordesky, who was kind of Dean's friend, uh, he had promoted them very successfully. And uh, Floyd Sneed, a black drummer, was uh, from Calgary here, was a big wrestling fan, used to sell the Body Press program, and uh, he was in the band, and... Dean Rand's quite a few. He brought he brought in the Doris. This was after uh, Keith oh, really? Jim Morrison died, yeah. But he brought them to Edmonton. He brought, oh, when they were playing with yeah, Morrison, yeah. He brought in uh, Nazareth and uh, Kilowack many times and uh, different ones. Uh, I can't remember all of them. Some even Charlie Ritchie brought to the uh, uh, McMahon Stadium. Hmm. Were you involved in the promotion of that, too? A little bit. I'd make his posters. I made his posters for Dr. Hook. And, uh, <laughs> I showed them to Ray Sawyer, Dr. Hook. Hey, that's pretty good. I'm going to keep this one. That's really good for a hand-drawn poster, you know. Was it the, be- the Beach Boys, too? Did he do some of the Beach Boys? Or did no, you do some of the Beach Boys? I knew the Beach Boys, and my wife knew um, Love. What's his name? Um, Mike Love. Mike Love, yeah, quite intimately. And uh, she traveled with them a little bit here and there. Did you ever hang out with them? No, but she did, and they were. They were kind of, I think they did come to Puerto Rico. She kind of set that up with them, and she was kind of mad that they had a song about Kokomo, but they couldn't seem to put it in Puerto Rico in the rhyming and all that. But uh, I don't know if they wrote it or somebody else did. But <laughs> okay, yeah. well, you know, you mentioning uh, Owen earlier too. How much of a difference in age was there between you and Owen? Fourteen years, maybe at the oh, most. So those fourteen, fourteen, twelve children in fourteen years. Yeah, something like that. My mother wow. even miscarried at one point. Really? Yeah. So she would, and she wanted to have fifteen kids. Fifteen doctors. Said, yeah, Owen and Diana were never supposed to be. The doctor said, after Ross was born, that's it. You know, you're. You you're know, cut off. It's getting too weak. You can't. You know, you could die, or the kid could die. And she managed to get two more out, and then he said, "That's it. No more. You, you know, it's, you're asking for trouble. You know, mm-hmm. playing with fate." So she reluctantly uh, had her tubes tied, or whatever they do. Okay, so that, that was after Owen and Diana came. So did you have? Did you have a relationship with Owen? Yeah, I did. Uh, I liked Owen. Uh, Owen and I had. Uh, Owen was everybody's little buddy and pet you know mm-hmm. like uh, some of these books have uh, said they dress him up and stuff well the girls would dress him up like the, their way for you know but that wasn't like when he went to school but we'd get him um, we'd grease his hair back and get him a custom made little black leather jacket and stuff and you know <laughs> whatever whatever the uh, was in fashion for the high school kids and even junior high kids he'd be wearing in grade one and two and three <laughs> you know yeah yeah. So, so he was kind of like uh, you were the mascot. older brother, and the mascot. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think of him as a as a wrestler? A fantastic wrestler. Yeah. Like as I was telling one of the guys uh, when I was waiting for you, Chris, they, I said when Jay Paul came to the, do the wrestling with shadows, he said well, when you think the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. What do you think? I said, well, certainly not Brett. And I was a little bit pissed off at Brett over a court deal at that time, but. I said, I think of Owen when I think of that. Mm. And he, he didn't want to talk to me anymore. And then he sees Bruce. You know, we're all supposed to be there for this, to contribute to this uh, movie documentary. And Bruce said something about Brett's head is so big he couldn't get in the door. And we had pretty big doors in that house. <laughs> then Ellie, you know, he says, your brother Brett. And she says, that 
effing bastard. I tried to run him over yesterday, and if I see him today, I'll succeed and all that. And Jay Paul thought I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong house here. This is you know, <laughs> yeah. And even uh, Wayne said something about no comment or something, and he was like, he didn't know what to do. You know, he's no one else to turn to. And my mother came down. You know, she, my dad was helping her get uh, ready and all that, and she turned on the charm about how wonderful Brett was and. You know how much he's done for the family. So, you know, like when my my mother never wanted to discuss wrestling with uh, her sisters when when considering that their father was an Olympic runner and wrestling is very far removed any time, any way you look at it from Olympic uh, track and field. But once Brett was wrestling and was a uh, basically an established uh, star, they my nieces and. Uh, my cousins, I should say, you know, feel female and male all over the states. A lot of my aunts had like ten kids or more. Like my mother, uh, they'd want to meet Liberace and Cin uh, Cindy Lauper and uh, Little Richard and all that, and they'd want tickets to go backstage and see Andre the Giant and whoever. So my aunts would be, "Can you get us tickets?" And they, my mother, through Brett, would pull all the strings, you know, and they get all kinds of backstage access and mm -hmm. VIP treatment. So. That's like when Brett kind of took over Bruce's position as one of my mother's uh, as key the pet pets. Yeah. I imagine, though, too, when you have 12 children, that it's hard for everybody to get along. Yeah, like Wayne definitely was the black sheep of the family, and it still affects him. He's fairly uh, sour and bitter, and uh, maybe he has some reason to be. But, like, I remember when uh, it was like I'd come up with some, some criminal scam, like, you know, the neighbors are gone, and let's let's see what's 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 interesting in there, and maybe take some booze or some. I'll uh, go in their house. Silverware, oh yeah. <laughs> and we didn't have too many neighbors. It'd be pretty obvious who did what or something, you know. But uh, Bruce and Wayne and Dean would do the dirty work, you know, in some cases because they were underage, even though I was too. But I mean. Uh, the minute Bruce and Keith couldn't wait to, to see my dad's car coming, I'd say, oh, "Now I know it's going to be another beating for me because they're going to rat immediately." It didn't matter what I'd done or if I'd even done it. My dad would be backhanding me, you know, and grabbing me by the hair and, you know, demanding the truce or what, you know. And Dean and uh, Wayne would pull off some little stunt, and then uh, Bruce and Keith would rat, and then we'd all be, you know, they'd be punished but my dad would uh wait my mother would say Stu, don't hit him in the face or you know like uh <laughs> with dean at least you know and with wayne nobody said anything you know and Wayne would get the most of the mauling and i don't know why that was really but uh, it's just too bad you know I mean? but what you know i don't want to paint a horrible picture if some of my aunts heard this they'd be thinking how oh, what a liar i am or what uh you know but most of it was uh bluff and uh you know, because well, yeah, you, you have the reputation of being kind of an eccentric guy. I, I am somewhat eccentric. You know, I, I, do, I go by what uh, seems to make sense, you know, mm -hmm. at the time. And so I, I'll, I like shortcuts, even if they're uphill, let's say. And <laughs> I sometimes regret the shortcuts I've taken because they never end. Kind of, you say, why did I even start this? It's, I thought it was, I'd be here by now, and here I'm like three days behind it. Like whenever I wrestled, Bruce would drop me out to anybody. There would be a guy who was usher, an usher the night before, and Bruce had me lose to him and stuff. And I, why is that? I don't know why. It may keep me down, keep me from getting, you know, rising up and being a threat to him. I don't know why. That's about the only reason I can think of because it didn't make sense. You know, fans didn't buy it, didn't believe it, you know. And uh, I didn't even really want to wrestle for the most part because like, I didn't like weightlifting. And you have to look the part, really, even though Bruce didn't. And... You know, Keith worked out fairly hard, but he wasn't, a, he, not, both, neither Bruce nor Keith are really big guys, you know. Yeah, genetically, and, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, they're like 5'9 each, but and I'm only 5'10, but 
that's you know back in those days that was an average size wrestler five ten mm-hmm. like my dad and you know I, I was able to drive Cadillac cars all my life and live in a mansion and uh, eat like a king and stuff but I didn't have a lot of money in my pocket you know I'd be t- cashing in the bottles after a party that, that would normally be thrown out or you know like my dad's not kind of bothered is beneath his dignity if the hired help didn't grab all the bottles after a party or something I would you know and that'd keep me in you know, give me some change. Give me some pocket. change. Yeah. How about when uh, the story of when you uh, picked up some uh, a dead pheasant on the roadside? Well, yeah, it wasn't dead. We, the guy I was driving with was uh, somewhat drunk, and he, I said, "Peter, get off! You're in the shoulder. You're gonna hit that pheasant." It was just taking flight, a big cock pheasant, and he splattered it. And he said, "I didn't hit it, did I?" I said, "No, that was a mosquito. There's enough blood on the windshield to cover the whole passenger side, and the birds flopping around behind us." He's, he says, "What should we do? Should we get it?" I said, "Yeah," and it was right there still. I was afraid a semi would hit it and squish it and be kind of good for nothing. But anyway, uh, just because it was freshly killed, and um, you know, I didn't have to go hunt it or anything, and. You know, you don't even see pheasant for sale in, in the, the grocery stores. So I cooked it lovingly for my dad, who was not a, at least a bit opposed to eating a wild game. And uh, my sisters uh, had seen me bring it in the night before, and they were, well, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I'm going to pluck it. I'm going to soak it and do whatever, you know. So um, when I, I cooked it in this orange sauce and I uh, had a recipe that I followed, and uh, I, made, I made my dad a whole meal, and uh I just took him up a little taste. I said, you like this? He says, yeah, it's good. He said, I think it's a little overdone. But I said, yeah, it, it is. So I went down to get the rest of it. My sister, Georgia, or Ellie, I can't remember, maybe both, had in disgust thrown it to the lousy little cocker spaniels who used to defecate all over the house and uh, always do it away from my dad's room. And my dad said, you never do it in my room. I can't believe it. You know, they're such good little dogs. Well, they, they were bad little dogs. But anyway... Uh, I see the dog eating it all. She wolfed the whole thing down. She's a real pig, this little molly that Jim Neidhart had got from some mafiosa guy. And once he realized that she wasn't too house-trained, he dumped her on my dad. (laughs) But anyway, the the one dog wolfed it all down. There's nothing left but a couple of slices of orange. But unfortunately, I'd given Matthew a taste of it, my son and myself and Tanya, my daughter, and my dad. But the rest of the, the outside of the little taste of it off the breast, the dog wolfed the whole thing down, bones and all. So your 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 Sunday dinner was destroyed. Yeah, it was uh, destroyed. No, you know, there was uh, that wasn't even necessarily a Sunday, but that was just something for my dad. But uh, it was like people would compete to you know carry my dad's favor. Like my sister Georgia would be often. Spalumbo is the place has it's pretty good Italian deli from a couple of local football players that teamed up and she'd come over with stuff and whatever I had just served my dad that would be whiffed away and all of a sudden what she had brought would be what my dad's eating and usually the cocker spaniel got what I had worked on you know just wolfing it down like a little pig even though she's already stuffed to the guts you know, she never left my dad's side, basically, which is good. Because your dad had a lot of animals in the house, too, a lot of cats. We had a lot of cats. He loved cats, and uh, my mother liked cats, too. And my, both of my parents liked dogs and cats a lot. You know. They kind of roamed free throughout the house, though, oh, all yeah. over the place, I mean, right? They, they did sharpening their claws on anything. It didn't matter. It was made out of uh, rawhide. They'd, they'd sharpen their claws on it, and uh, the Persian carpets, too. You know, they, they, you know, And then they'd piss on them, too, when they're at will. So uh, it's not too bad, but you can already keep track of it. I mean, there's like sometimes as many as a dozen cats. A dozen house. cats. Yeah. Would you just take them in off the street or something? People or? would dump them off there sometimes. Like I remember one guy who had done some lousy brick job for my dad, and it was a big letdown for my dad how it turned out and uh, the quality of bricks he used. They didn't match. He said he could match the ones we had and stuff. 
but he came down to get one of his last payments and all of a sudden, I see a car just leaving slowly, guiltily, and all of a sudden, this big white Tomcat appears, and he went over, and he pissed on all four tires of this guy's Volkswagen van that was wanting more money from my dad for his rotten brick job, and uh, my dad picked the cat up and just examined him, and yeah, there's a Tomcat pulled ready, and ready to go. I don't think we had any females that were breedable at that time, but the cat was ravenous. It was hungry as hell, and went in the house, and... My dad picked him up and says, the guy's hungry. My, my mother liked him right away and named him Bojangles. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Did you? You told me earlier about uh, when you helped your mother out when she was asking you some advice about uh, about marijuana. She was, uh, yeah, she was getting. Uh, she drank because she was depressed a lot. Sometimes business wasn't good, you know, and uh, wrestling can be uh, up and down. Very cyclical, right? Oh, you know, very much so. And uh, when we lost our TV, uh, we were almost out of business. We were, you know, talking to people about not just mortgaging the house but selling it outright and at a horrible price well this was a little after that but my mother in all her innocence uh, asked me uh she's i'm gaining a lot of weight and stuff and i used to buy her booze once in a while like she'd give me that was another source of money she'd give me 20 bucks and ask for a big bottle of danini or something and these cheap wines that you know they come in huge bottles like I remember at, at Clearwater Beach one time, the Croatians were having a barbecue picnic and they had a goat on a spit or something and they're drinking the scams of wine. And uh, Andre the Giant was invited out and he spoke Yugoslavian. That was his really, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, he was French, Yugoslavian, Rusimov or whatever. And he, uh, so he's got a bottle of this wine. It's like a beer bottle in his hand. He's got a whole leg of lamb and it's like a drumstick. Uh, that's apropos of a guy, his size, you know, it's like... But anyway, um, she uh, she gave me you know, it cost twelve bucks. I keep the change. It was all a fair deal, you know. And my dad used to wonder where. Okay, he knew he bought some of the wine, but he thought there's a lot of bottles out there for considering. what he, he just sort of thought it, you know he couldn't couldn't get, you know never nobody ever thought I was buying it for her. But uh, she get depressed and she drinks, so she was gaining weight. And she said something about. Uh, marijuana and she'd read something about it and I said no problem I got some right here as a matter of fact I got a joint ready to go or something and she's and we didn't know Georgia had just arrived probably with more goodies from Spolumbo's but anyway um uh, she she had never smoked a cigarette in her life and didn't know how just like I didn't so I lit, lit it up for her and she took a puff and didn't do it right and she coughed and all that and that's when Georgia walked in and says you're not talking mom up are you and I said absolutely not Georgia what are you talking about and she says I smell something and she did she you know now she knows because I denied it always but now now the truth is out so did so, so, but Helen never got high. She, she never was, wanted to do it after that. She was just, you know, Georgia ruined all the highs she could have had after that. She, maybe she, she might still be alive. I don't know. But did you ever give Stu any? Uh... As a matter of fact, that I'm surprised you would ask that. Uh, one day I was, I had somebody give me, <laughs> a biker girl, give me a handful of magic mushrooms. These are blue mushrooms from Mexico. And I hadn't tried them yet, but uh, Stu saw them in my hand. He saw you got some mushrooms there and he grabbed them and he wolfed down a, a couple of big ones. And uh, before the night was over, uh, 
I was supposed to take the cage. Uh, we had a cage match that night in Calgary, and we were supposed to have another one in Edmonton the next day. And it was an afternoon show. And anyway, uh, I left as soon as the cage, as soon as we finished the match with the cage. I took it away right away. I was avoiding my dad. His face was red and shiny, and he had a grin on that he couldn't seem to. Uh, to shake to shake yeah and he, I don't know if he realized what happened to this day I never heard but I, I remember I got to Edmonton and I didn't wake up till about uh, an hour after the wrestling had already started and they, they were in a real panic about where is the cage it's nowhere to be seen and I'm uh, there was no cell phones in those days nobody knew where I was they didn't know I was leaving that night I, I just wanted to get out of sight out of dodge in case my dad put two and two together about the mushrooms but uh <laughs> I hope he wasn't too uh, embarrassed over it, but uh, I didn't see much of it. I left as soon as I got the sign, that, you know, that I saw his face so red and he had a grin on that wouldn't quit. You, you mentioned Andre earlier. Did you did you uh, hang out with him a, a bit or at all? or A little bit. You know, mm. when he came to Puerto Rico, I'd uh, hang out with him. But he, he was kind of a guy that didn't like a lot of company. Um, he didn't mind the odd female company and stuff. And he was a pretty sociable guy. But on one particular day, um, he had told my dad that uh, his visa was going to expire during the um, 10 days that he was in Calgary. And part of those, uh, in that 10-day period, were some bookings in uh, Montana. So uh, when when his visa, if he stayed in Canada, it would be fine. When he went back to New York, uh, it would all be redone for him by McMahon's, you know, Vince McMahon's father, who had him under contract then. But um, Andre had had a you know kind of a girlfriend here, Babette Bardo, with a fifty-two inch bust and all that, and the re- you know reputed cousin, distant cousin of of uh, Bridget Bardo. But anyway, uh, she legitimately had the big bust, you know, no no. Uh, wow, fifty-two not, inches. Yeah, nothing fake about it either. It was right. pretty pretty well proportioned, uh, and she she was uh, kind of some of, somewhat of an exotic dancer and gymnast, and her husband did a little skit on stage with her, and they they got to. Where they'd show up, Stampede Week, and be booked here and there at different hotels, and uh, they, we often used Andre uh, in Stampede Week. Uh, you know, even in, in matches with the world's champion, like Harley Race, one one time. But uh, she, he invited her into the ring in the parade. You know, in the float that we we pull an actual wrestling ring through the Stampede uh, route, and we'd have a couple other convertibles for the world's champion, or sometimes for uh, lady wrestling mm-hmm. stars. And uh, Andre was just sitting down with Babette to have steak and lobster at the uh, Calgary Inn, probably the best hotel in the city. And I come in with the bad news: you got to go to Montana right now. Like, and he was furious. He has to had to pass up the meal and the date, you know. And anyway, <laughs> to go he get his he, visa to, to go to Montana yeah. and then be uh, stuck at the border and not be able to cross back into Canada for the big shows. But anyway, somehow my dad got a hold of Vince over you know, over the weekend, and they they pulled the strings in Washington or however, wherever, got him a visa, and he's able to come back in and finish the the bookings in Calgary. But because we were so late, you know, by the time Andre he dragged his big ass as long as he could, you know, and uh, it was like pretty much a foregone conclusion that we're not going to make that flight. But he didn't know how I drove. And I was in a one-way alley, and I, I'm, I'm going to resume right past the police station in my process and run a couple of lights. And I, I ran every light I, I could run. That, you know, I didn't care. And there was some old retired uh, guy who was, you know, like late 
you know, almost ready to drop dead. This cop, Paulie, he's an old retired guy in the '60s, and he he couldn't keep up, and he had an old gutless car. He wasn't out to, he wasn't an interceptor or anything. But when I came back from getting Andre through customs and all that, and I come back in, there he is with Brett, ready to haul me into jail. And when I explained everything, I gave him a pretty long, rounded, you know, account of what had happened. You know, he's uh, never mind, forget it. Say hi to Stu. Say hi to Stu. Because that's the thing, like you said, you were a heart, and everybody in Calgary knows the hearts and yeah, knows what's going on. You much. did mention the losing TV, which was a huge deal at the time. Yeah. To what happened to get kicked off of? TV? Well, to start with, uh, Mike DiBiase, uh, who is like the stepfather of Ted DiBiase. Uh, he was in here with uh, Bulldog Pletchis and uh, they used to have a show that uh, was in just before the news would come on, you know, with Ed Whalen, our commentator, and he would play the role of a soda jerk and he, the wrestler would come in and he used to have a shill sitting there having a coffee that was one of the statements, someone worked at the studio and uh, the wrestler would come in and Ed would have some lines for him like, oh, so who are you wrestling tonight or what's going on? I hear you're this and that or you're... Anyway, D.P. Aussie went in and said that if... Uh, Brains were money, and it cost five cents to go around the world. Uh, the average Canadian couldn't cross the street, and furthermore, the women are dowdy, and he's disgusted by this and that. Well, I don't have to take that. I'm a proud Canadian. He pulled the plug, and the show went dark, and was just uh, for real. For real, he went, he went nuts, and uh, so we lost that show. But years later, uh, we had our mat time show still on. But, but let me just interject here. Ed Whalen, who was the announcer, but he had a lot of power. It, it, as far as being able to pull the plug on Stampede Wrestling, you got you get you had to go along with that. Well, at that time there was no other studio. That was it. There was no competition. CTB hadn't come yet. In fact, that's who we went with after that. Well, what what happened was uh, an architect, uh, Pat Sullivan, who lived in that area, realized that there was uh, bylaws that were signed so that the studio wouldn't have any uh, activity after certain hours and um, anything that disturbed uh, the uh, residents would be subject to scrutiny and this mm -hmm. and that. So he took it upon himself, and it took him about 18 months to get like 15 signatures saying that they were bothered by the noise at night after midnight of people coming and going, and that caught, that they shut us right down. They said, we have no choice. So then we they left us the option of uh, producing the show away from the studio uh, at the pavilion again, which we had to pay the full rent for, but... They had to, in order to have it ready by midnight, they'd have to, they couldn't do it any later than 10 o'clock in the morning. So from 10 to 11, we'd have the show done. And the fans had just seen all of Blood and Guts the night before live. Now they see kind of a watered down show with short little matches to fit in this uh, time slot. And I don't even know if it was a full hour. It might have only been a half hour show, but I think it was an hour. Anyway, just, just that vacuous building with uh, only like. 50 people sitting mm -hmm. there spread out and they wouldn't all they didn't want to all sit in the ringside some of them didn't like the lights shining in their face and they'd sit up high and they could drink and stuff and whatever it just it just was a bad atmosphere to the point where we were losing money losing money that's when my dad almost had to sell the house cheap okay. you know, like for less money than he paid for it and he got it for a hell of a deal i mean mm -hmm. people it was a hard sell it's too big a house for most people to yeah. pay the utilities our utilities amounted to 1500 a month many times.
just because of the size of it and all the people living yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you lost the, the TV the first time with DiBiase. The second time? The second time we lost the whole big show. This little five-minute excerpt that we did before the news on Friday night just before the wrestling, it was a good little show, but that, that was one thing we lost. Then we lost the actual show, and then we had to do it at the uh, pavilion, and it just was never the same quality. Right. And... Uh, when uh, when they built the studio right next to my dad's house, CTV, uh, Manneker was interested in coming back in, and he was a phenomenal guy. He used to be Gorgeous George's manager, and he, uh, you know, he was married to June Byers, the world's champion. He'd been in. Uh, he was a friend of Blackstone, the magician. He, did, he could do a lot of magic tricks himself. The ones that David Blaine was doing in mm-hmm. the street, mm-hmm. he was doing them in the fifties. Same ones. That's one thing. Like you know, Tom. You know, we were in the wrestling business for years. We know all the tricks, but magic. It frustrates me that they, they really don't tell the tricks. I don't know any of them, and it really pisses me yeah. off because I want to know. Some that are done by mathematics. I've learned a few with um, cards and stuff, but I'm not. I'm not into that really. I'm yeah, not, I'm not into gambling. I'm not into. We had a pool table for forty years. A professional twelve foot pool table in my dad's house. I never paid and played one game on it. <laughs> Didn't care. So, but over the years of Stampede Wrestling, you're talking about kind of some of the ups and downs. But as far as uh, the performers, who were some of the absolute greats that you saw? Some of the absolute greats were the Stomper. Um, Archie the Stomper is pretty underrated, I think. If you're yeah. from Calgary or you know him, but a lot of people there, there, don't. Uh, nobody's. There was never a guy that could do an in, as intense an interview, a heel interview, as Archie Goldie. He, he you know. Uh, I know some of his tricks he practiced over and over with a tape recorder in front of a mirror, but which I never knew. But Keith uh, Keith took it upon himself to visit him and stay over one weekend in Carbon where Archie lived. And um, but Archie Archie would have the most intense, believable interviews I've ever heard. Like they would scare people. Mm-hmm. Abdullah didn't do interviews because he had the role of an insane, crazy guy that couldn't speak any English. You know, but uh, he he had. The most money we ever made was with Abdul the Butcher. Uh, he was my dad's basically favorite heel, uh, but the Stomper would be right there, second, close second. Uh, Dr. Jerry Graham was another one, a prolific uh, villain, bleeder, and pretty good talker. A disgusting villain. The more the fatter he got, the more hated he was, you know, and <laughs> he'd still be doing the uh, Buddy Rogers strut and stuff. I believe that I heard as a teenager that that was Vince's favorite wrestler, Vince McMahon Jr. That he loved Jerry Graham. Yeah, I loved Jerry Graham too. And Leo yeah. Burke, who was a pretty, uh, pretty credible wrestler. He, he thought that uh, Jerry Graham was maybe as good as there was, you know, mm-hmm. for all around just, and Jerry Graham had small hands, not bigger, much bigger than my mother's. And like, I think about size eight and a half feet or something, but he had the big high ass going up to his shoulder blades and he'd be doing the strut and the dirty black rooted greasy hair, you know, it was like the pre mullet days, you know. But it was, he, he was uh, he was he was good. He was he was you know he brought in his own crew of guys. You know he'd be working with like uh, Chief Big Heart and uh, oh I don't know uh, Louis uh, Hernandez and stuff. You know guys he'd worked with before, and, and mm-hmm. he brought in Crazy Luke Graham. And never brought his uh, real brother. You know his uh, Eddie Graham never came in. He was already too busy promoting Florida by then. Jerry was kind of on the decline, but still had lots of drawing power. Mm. Waldo Von Erich is one of the best villains of all time. Uh, Prince Von Erich was a pretty credible villain, big, big, raw recruit when we had him. Um, Gene Kineski and Killer Kowalski are two top villains. What about when you started bringing in guys from England like like Dynamite? What did you um, think of him? 
Dynamite Kid was phenomenal with his uh, moves, but he didn't weigh probably more than 165 pounds when he first came. But uh, he he was very curious about uh, you know steroids and stuff, and uh, he, he bumped himself up rapidly. And, yeah, uh, he never stopped. Basically, when he went into the WWE, and the steroids were not only abundant but legal. And, and readily available, maybe even free. He uh, he, he got he got huge, massive, early, you know, yeah, yeah, very muscle bound. Some of the best villains of all time that were ever hit Calgary, even in pre TV days, were uh, Al Mills first of all, and then Jim Wright. And those two wrestled in in India for, for about seventy five thousand people uh, for some war effort. Uh, raise money for India and Nehru gave them each uh, some kind of gemstone ring or something and. Uh, but mm. you know, valuable rings, and uh, I think they donated their service. Like, I don't think they even got paid, but they got these nice rings. And I remember, uh, mm. but Jim, Jim Wright was a legitimate tough guy. Rube Wright and Jim Wright were two big guys from Arizona that nobody screwed with. You know, they, they were they could handle themselves very well. They're pretty good amateur wrestlers. Like another one was Wilbur Need, uh, but uh, Al Mills wasn't that much of a. Uh, submission wrestler, Olympic kind of wrestler, but just a tough guy and no fear of the fans whatsoever. He'd be out in Indian Reserve and the Indians are like ready to kill him because he'd just beaten uh, uh, Chief Thunderbird, who was a real Squamish Indian chief, to a bloody pulp somewhere. And the promoter with Al Oming, in this case, my dad's partner. My dad couldn't wrestle and promote in Edmonton at the same time. He had a real, okay. a real bunch of assholes with the commission out there. Yeah, a real bunch of thieving bloodsuckers. But anyway, uh, he told me a story not long before he died about Al Mills. And he was telling me a lot of the stuff about um, the aforementioned uh, Jack Taylor. But Mills was in the ring and... Uh, Al said something about, do you want me to call the police? Like, they won't get here for 45 minutes. And Al said, no, just, just, uh, let them, let them simmer for a minute. You know, like, and he finally, not, nobody really left the building. Indians are still ready to kill him. And they're sort of not, they gotta do him. If any one of them had started to get in the ring, I guess Al would have had to, like, knock him cold or something. But finally, but they never, then nobody ever left. They're still there milling around, ready to kill him. And he just, Said hell with it. He jumped down and just walked right through him like they weren't there. And mm. uh, they they parted for him. Nobody struck <laughs> him or anything. And I've seen Abdullah do the same thing in Japan, where there's like ten thousand people ready to slit his, you know, rip him apart. And he just walks. But you know, I remember Angus Campbell uh, was trying to fill Abdullah's shoes here, and he had a near riot. You know, we gave him the kind of same scenario as Abdullah remauled two guys at once. You know, and. Uh, he, he, when he jumped out of the ring, I'm following him as the referee, ready to kind of like clear a path for him. He's not going to hit me, you know. I've done nothing, but uh, he's behind my back. He grabs two chairs and he's trying to swing. All of a sudden, chairs and crutches and bottles start flying. You know, he should have not touched the chairs. Yeah, just follow me. Right, right, right. So that you were a referee too. Yeah, I refereed. I did. I did everything. Uh, you know, drove, set rings up, promoted. Yeah, uh, everything you know. had to be done. Quite often, Bob Johnson, uh, bless his heart. Uh, he would uh, tell my mother well, I just couldn't get a spot show for Edmonton, which is one of our big dates. If you lose Edmonton, the gate of Edmonton, you're losing ha- almost half your your you know between Calgary and Edmonton. That's what you know. All these other towns were just insignificant. And I'd say, well, I'll get a town, you know. And I'd whip something together. I'd go to one of the Indian reserves where I had friends and stuff, and I'd get a building for fifty bucks or something. I'd say we got a show here, and I'd poster it and. 
Uh, we'd make something and be enough mm-hmm. to maybe pay bad news Allen salary for the week, which helped. I never got a penny out of it. I didn't ask for a penny. I was always trying to prove myself, which I did over and over and over. A lot of the best ideas and angles that, that ever came about were my ideas that Bruce would project. Keith wouldn't even push them. Uh, he'd, uh, Do you remember any of the angles that you're talking about? Well, one was uh, I wanted to have uh, Marty Jones uh, wear a mask for something, and uh, and when I was explaining it to either Bruce or Keith, I said, "Yeah." And then when he when he unmasked him, I said, "No, you don't unmask him." I said, "Leave it, even if they know who it is, you don't unmask him that night. You wait for a while." It was a uh, something to do with a cage match, and Keith says, "Yeah, well, we got to have blood," and I said, "You can't bleed with a mask on." I said, "Well, not necessarily. You probably could if you wanted, but that's beside the point." Keith didn't couldn't understand it. Bruce would usually buy the idea but put his own touch on it so that i couldn't get credit for it (laughs) just take it right yeah so what what do you think um was the reason that stampede finally closed in 1989 after being around for 40 odd years well to be honest with you um my dad was losing a hundred thousand years so when um vince senior approached my parents with this little um proposition to uh, be presented in tokyo japan uh, you know at his expense um my parents were like, it was like relief coming. It's like they can immediately save 100000 a year, plus he was going to give them half a million um, up front and plus 5% of the gross gates forever in our towns. But he wanted our TV slot and he wanted, you know, the... You know, us to pave the way for him to meet the media and then, you know, and the building people and do it, you know, just take over our, our. This is senior or junior? Senior. Okay. Who didn't last too much longer after that. He died. But then Vince didn't honor, Vince Jr. didn't honor the uh, original commitment. And um, apparently he was expanding at such a rate that he couldn't, he was spending more, you know, had a cash flow problem. So, that, you know, when they say he bought us out, nobody bought us out. Uh, we capitulated. But, um, you know, my dad was making, uh, he was subsidizing the wrestling with the sale of our property in front of the house. Uh, you know, United Management, uh, our neighbors, the Singer family had bought the property uh, by default through somebody else that had bought it. And Last Mountain Resorts bought it and they went defunct and Singers picked it up. But um, when interest was 21%. Singers were paying a whopping 17.5% compounded monthly to my parents. And uh, that's what subsidized uh, Bruce and Keith back and forth. Sometimes Keith would uh, make a play when my mother was uh, on an extended visit seeing her sisters in the States. And she'd come back and Bruce would be crying the blues that he'd been screwed out of his position. And Keith and the Japanese boys had uh, taken over. And before long, Bruce would be back in position and Keith be on the outs. And, <laughs> Just playing, playing your mom, huh? Yeah, basically. Right. And you know, when Keith uh, started his own little thing, my dad had way too many wrestlers, and Keith said, "No, keep them all. I'm gonna, t- you know, take over. I'm gonna run a separate show in um, in the interior of BC." And Keith uh, claimed for income tax reasons he had to have a numbered company and this and that. And all of a sudden, it's none of them. I don't know if my dad got ever got a penny out of it, but when it's all over, Keith said, "Well, at least I took half the wrestlers off your payroll, uh, you mm-hmm. know, off your back, you know." And a lot of them would have gone to the Maritimes, but um, they, you know it's yeah. a summer territory, as opposed to most territories uh, that draw best in the winter. And anyway, um, just it was it was a back and forth thing. I never got in on it. I I promote these spot shows and I even do concessions and everything, and be selling coffee and um, donuts and stuff and popcorn and whatever those you can make popcorn lights with. It. They think it's home popped. It's all bagged yeah. weeks before, but you know. <laughs> 
uh, I'd, I'd come home with thousands of dollars from these shows and uh, never get hardly barely get a thank you or any acknowledgments and certainly no um, no position for it or you know the credit no placement yeah. nothing you know so, so you're saying it's basically a financial reason though why Stampede finally ended and that was just that was it yeah it was like a relief to uh, have someone when you're wondering uh, you know if it wasn't for the, uh, the United Management land money coming in uh, see they didn't want to pay outright because they, they were in a cash flow problem themselves that uh, screwed the entire economy mm-hmm. the economy in Canada in western Canada with his uh, la- la- you know, laps of oil uh, incentives, exploration incentives, but um, incentives, I should say. But um, you know, they, you know, we were struggling along, and I'm always saying, "Let me do it. I'll, I'll make money for you." You know, like it was very, very inefficiently run. The vans were always late, and they'd have to be had the hell driven out of them. You know, and overloaded. Where you know, like some some van left early because they wouldn't wait for everybody, and then when everybody shows up, they all got a pile in one van or something. And you know, they. I would maintain the vans very well. I was the first one that suggested vans. We used to just drive in cattle in cars, you know, and. Uh, the wrestlers would basically drive themselves, uh, but they, you know, whoever drove would get extra trans money, which they deserved. Um, but um, you could put more than double uh, a car, two two car loads in, in these big maxi vans. You know, they'd hold fifteen normal people. We could probably put ten wrestlers in quite easily, which is more than two car loads. So, and they'd run about the same as a Cadillac, gas wise. But um, I had a lot of ideas that were mine. Uh, the uh, the world uh, mid heavyweight championship for Dynamite Kid was uh, my idea and my belt. You know, it's mm. sitting in Brett's trophy cabinet. I bought it. Pay, I paid for it, leather and uh, casting and everything, all at my own expense. And uh, it's you know, my dad gave it to Brett. Mm. Brett was furious one day when Kevin, the houseboy, handed it to me because Gamma Singh wanted to borrow it for India, and he told me I'll have it double gold plated for you if I can use it. And I said, sure. I went over and said, Kevin, uh, can you get me that belt? No problem. You knew exactly where it was. It's all of Brett's other belts. And, you know, the WWE belts, they make, you know, they give you one every time you win the title. You know, they don't pass the one single belt around like they did in the NWA. But that was a solid gold belt, all those NWA mm-hmm. ones. In fact, the last one they made was supposed to be worth twenty thousand dollars because it was uh, d- they had a deficit in money and they're supposed to be uh, you know a um, profit-free organization, you know the NWA. So and they knew the price of gold was going up uh, imminently. So they went to Mexico where they could get cheap uh, goldsmithing and they had a fairly lousy belt made up. It was worth heavy and worth a lot of money, but it was not. It was a lopsided belt with you know wasn't balanced at all like the previous belt which was a lot lighter it was real gold but it was pounded out this was solid gold like thick heavy <laughs> it was like harley race gave it to me and he said something about you're holding fifty thousand dollars kid plus my rolex and my ring or something and don't don't take your eyes off it and, but you know it was a heavy big ugly mis, you know unbalanced worth a lot of money yeah yeah and it disappeared like the other belt i don't know who's got it i mean i hope that one of the funks maybe has it because i admired them as good uh good for the business so do you miss uh you know you talk about dean and owen and Stu and helen do, do you miss i'm mean, obviously miss them but do you like do you, talk, you talk very fondly of your father do you yeah. miss having them around? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my dad was all common sense, uh, and he never got ruffled. You know, uh, I noticed when he was on the spot when uh, some something horrible had happened on the road, bad accident, whether we were in the right or wrong. I noticed his eyes would blink a lot, and he'd, uh, uh, a lot, but he was thinking while he would say that. And there's one story that. Uh, 
that sort of exemplifies that that my dad's I wouldn't call it stuttering, but it's like he's he's thinking of what to say uh, that's that's gonna not incriminate him or uh, mm. make the you know. But um, they had the cavalcade of champions here, where all these uh, former boxing champions from Muhammad Ali down to Joe Lewis, I'd say in, in the chronology, Lewis maybe being the oldest. Uh, they came here and. Ali couldn't make it for some reason, but he was supposed to come and did come to some of the the same. This cavalcade took place all across Canada and probably the States as well, but they'd show old excerpts, pretty good ones of their boxing history. Then the boxer himself would get up and speak. So one of the first ones to speak was uh, Jake Lamata, and he gets up. And I don't even know how he knew my dad was there. He may have recognized my dad from New York or New Jersey when my dad was wrestling in for toots, but he gets up and he says, uh, 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 I did that about 10 times. People think, God, this guy's punchy. Then he said, I took elocution lesson from Stu Hart. And he singled my dad out and waved at him. My dad got up and waved at him. And my mother pulled my dad's coattail down and said, down, you're embarrassing this whole table. And <laughs> at the table was Ed Whalen and uh, his wife and uh, a few other people. I think the owner of the hotel was there too. And It's I, interesting though, because you're saying, because that's, that's the famous Stu Hart imitation. Right? Yeah. But you're saying he was doing that because he was thinking yeah. and not wanting to just say stuff to Yeah, that's covering up. Hang it's, like, it's a ploy. As he, you know, it's like he lets you know that he's uh, with you, but he, uh, he's, uh, he's hearing you and he's, he's in the, you know, he's working this uh, situation out, but he's, you know, he's wondering what the hell to say. He didn't want to commit himself to the wrong thing, admit that the driver was drunk or didn't have a license or is, uh, you know, a speed demon or, or uh, you know, is wanted or something. You know, he's mm-hmm. be working some kind of, coming up with some uh, compromise. Right, right, right. How about Owen? With do you do you miss? Owen was really good at imitating people. He had an act. He could do anybody's voice pretty much, and uh, and or even a, a you know he'd do do a foreigner's voice, you know, or uh, you know a East Indian voice or something. And he'd call my dad up and he'd bait my dad with something really easy and friendly, you know. And uh, do you remember this guy? And my dad didn't even know who he was talking to, but he know what they were talking about. Yes, I remember Sky Lee or Doug Hepburn or something. And then this. Then he'd want to break into the phony bastard. I could have beat him or something. Or he did it with Reg Parks. Reg was one of these guys. Like my dad enjoyed taking bodybuilders apart in the gym, kind of like making them squeak and stuff. Because a lot of them are very, um, you know, I don't know if what your experience is with bodybuilders, but they, a lot of them are very sort of uh, what I would call precious and semi-detached. They're all into themselves and yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. much else. They, every time they have a bowel movement, they make note of it in their diary and maybe the temperature of it and stuff. They really <laughs> that way. And uh, but Reggie was kind of a kind of like a. Uh, lifeguard type bodybuilder. He wasn't massive like uh, yeah, just physical fit, good shape. Yeah, yeah. like like uh, Steve DeSalvo or something. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, he was had a slim, you know, you know. But uh, Old, yeah. he, so Owen Owen uh, had just heard some of the stories about Reggie Parks, and, and he, he called my dad up uh, as Reggie, saying he and he, he had just met Reggie, and he had the voice down pat. And he, he says, dude, I always thought I said, I've got to get something off my chest. And my dad, what's that, Reggie? And my dad's friendly, you know, wanting to reminisce about the good old days. And 
Reggie, well, I always thought I could have taken it. And all of a sudden, my dad, what? You know, like, what do you mean? And he, well, you know, I, you know, I never really had a fair chance with you in the gym. And then, you know, I know I could have beaten you. And all my dad said, I give you every chance you ever needed. And, you know, and you can have a chance right now if you want. You know, it's, you know, like, and, and this is Owen. Just yeah, yeah, just really, down. yeah. And Reggie, who's like thousands of miles away, like in Kansas City or St. Louis from Calgary, is still scared that there might be repercussions or Stu comes down to straighten them out. So with Owen finally say hey dad it's me i guess uh, yeah. or just hang up and let him you, usually steward uh finally says that's you Owen. you got me again you son of a bitch you know <laughs> well i mean you had so many uh great stories and great tales and and actually a lot of years in the ring too so let me ask this as a final question mm-hmm. what's your favorite match that you ever had well, I had uh, my favorite matches were either with the Stomper or with Abdullah, you know. Uh, that you wrestled, you were yeah, working against them? Bled like a pig for both of them. <laughs> yeah, it was part of gimmicks to set it up for my dad to wrestle them. Oh, okay. So you were kind of the stepping stone. Like, yeah. They kicked the shit out of the sun. Yeah. So now the dad has to get revenge. That's right. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Great story, Smith. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate my it. pleasure. Thanks to the uh, amazing Smith Hart. <laughs> <laughs> Very eccentric, uh, but a, a good guy. Thanks to him for sharing all the stories about the uh, uh, crazy, uh, legendary, uh, iconic Hart family. So cool to have him on. Thanks to him. Uh, thanks to you guys as well for listening to Talk is Jericho twice this week. And thanks for subscribing on iTunes and getting all your friends to subscribe and leave five-star ratings and comments. And thanks for supporting all the great sponsieros of Talk is Jericho, including Amazon. They've been, been with the show since the very first episode with Steve Austin way back when if you want to hear it you got to go uh go check out the premium side of podcast1.com very very uh valuable valuable service but go back and listen you'll see that amazon was there and it's the easiest way to support tij you can get almost anything you can think of on Amazon. And hey, I want you to be a Talk is Jericho Amazon warrior. If you buy something on Amazon using one of my links, send me the pic of what you bought on Amazon. I will uh, retweet it and I will follow you. That's at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. Go do that now. Become a Jericho Amazon warrior. You can use those Talk is Jericho links to get to Amazon. And you can find them links by going to podcast1.com. Click on the Keeler Deals button on the top right corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can do that in the U.S. A, the UK, the Canada A, and every time you use those links, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to the show to help us cover these production costs. No extra fees or hidden charges. You're just taking it to the streets and helping out your boy. All right, and thanks to all my other great sponsors, I want you to check them out, DDP Yoga and the DDP Yoga Now app. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. This really works. I want you to try it. Harrys.com for the smoothest shave you can get. Use my promo code there. DraftKings.com. Use the promo code Y2J to play for free. There's Uber. There's Geico. So many people jumping on board, including you. And I thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And next uh, next Wednesday, I mean, the streak of great shows continues. I don't know if you watched Raw last Monday. The debut, the long-awaited debut of Carl Anderson and the return of Luke Gallows. They are here. They came from New Japan Bullet Club all the way to the WWE. They are here to stay, and they are a pair of characters. I'll tell you what, they will be here on Wednesday. Who brings you the biggest guests? I do, I do, I do, I do. All right, we'll see you on Wednesday. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a double nugs. All right, yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.